This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 429. So sovereignty isn't about having 100% control over everything that could possibly work in your life. It's about focusing your efforts on the things that are important to you and then bringing in the right people to focus on the things that aren't as relevant or meaningful to you. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here live in the Sea Shed with Mr. David Green. David, welcome to the Sea Shed. Thank you very much. It's always more fun to do this here yeah. in person. We're totally uh, not six feet away from each other. We're like four right now. Our lips are like three feet. That's the part that makes it uncomfortable. It's like that stare <laughs> down right before a UFC eyes. fight where you're like, yeah. they're at half inch away from kissing. Yes, it's weird. That, that always is weird. How did that become the UFC thing? I don't know, but it's like a thing or like fighting in general is like get really close to the guy. Anyway, weird. So what's up, everyone? It's Brandon and David. Uh, we're doing this episode here uh, in Hawaii because David's visiting me. And we just got done recording an amazing episode uh, with Ryan Mickler. And he is a super cool guy who runs an organization called The Order of Man. Uh, he speaks to a lot of uh, men. But if you're not a man, it's okay. You're still welcome here in that everything today, every single solitary thing applies uh, to men and or women. Uh, but it, really, really good stuff today about just taking ownership of things in your life, what do you call sovereignty, and what that means in your life, business, how to attract people around you uh, to work with you and to create like momentum around you. Uh, we talk about raising kids. We actually spent a fair amount of time talking about how to raise kids uh, with the right mentality and the right ownership and the right, um, mm. all that stuff. Yeah. What do you think? Mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was one of my favorite episodes. Ryan was a very good guest, very articulate, yeah. brought up some incredibly good points. I think when he talked about noble obstacles, that yeah. one really hit me hard. Yeah. That's an amazing concept. And I don't think that there's one thing we talked about that can't be applied to real estate investing. That was another 100%. really cool piece. Yeah, 100%. So check it out. I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Before we get to that, though, let's get to today's quick tip. I like doing quick tip in person. It's different over uh, over Zoom, you know, when mm -hmm. recording normally. Anyway, today's quick tip is very simple. If you have not yet picked up a copy of the intention journal from bigger pockets. Do it right now by the end of the year. Uh, now you might be listening to the future, but if this comes out at the very end of the year, you got a couple days and uh, start next year off right with uh, a copy of the intention journal, biggerpockets.com slash journal. That was a commercial. That wasn't even much of a quick tip. Do you have a better quick tip? Uh, think about what noble obstacles might be in your life and share them with someone that, that cares about you, which mm. They and will gonna, know more about what those are after they listen. They to will the show. find more about what that is here in a little bit. That's a that's a good quick tip. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them, and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. 
Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP, connectinvest.com slash VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. All right. And with that, let's get to today's show with Ryan Mickler from Order of Man. You guys are going to love it. All right, Ryan, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It's been a long time coming. Glad to have you here. Yeah, man. I've I've been looking forward to this. I know we had a conversation, what, a month or so ago, yeah. but uh, I've been looking forward to the follow-up. So here yeah. we are. Yeah, I was uh, I was on your show. It was, uh, it was amazing. A coconut literally just fell off a tree next to me that's crazy uh that's what you get living in hawaii uh like i was like what is that noise oh coconuts rolling yeah, down coconuts like, falling yeah coconuts falling do you know more people are killed every year by coconuts falling than by shark attacks it's your story uh i didn't know that you know actually here in maine we're worried about snow falling off the roof really got yeah snow now so yeah that icicles be a, uh, icicles <laughs> you know in, impaling you yeah. from above yeah for sure you got to watch out for those things there's an <laughs> office episode with dwight and michael do you watch the office ryan uh i've watched it multiple times for Where sure dwight's making fun of michael because he'll stand directly under an icicle looking straight up at I it know, i don't remember that at all how stupid he is i don't know if i can remember that <laughs> either it's really funny that's funny i, no I guess that. that gives me a reason to go back and yeah i gotta and watch, watch it again probably the greatest tv show <laughs> yep. of all time yes, yes. <laughs> all right so let's let's get into your story and we'll, we'll let people know more about why you're here uh in terms of like why i'm super inspired by you uh and you know i love listening to everything you got your podcast is amazing so thanks man. let's go into why that is yeah so who who are you uh what were you and who are you today it's a broad question right there <laughs> uh, that is very broad what did you say who, yeah. who was who, i and who yeah. am i today yeah who who were you who are you today it's gonna give us your, give us your story I was a loser, man. All right. I don't feel like a loser now, although I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of people who'd be more than happy to call me a loser now. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. 
but no, I, I actually, I actually viewed myself as a loser. I was really lost. I, I struggled for a long time as a father, a new father and a new husband and like trying to figure this out. And I, I had my financial planning practice and that wasn't going well. And I just floundered. And I actually, I thought that I was a loser, but looking back at it now, I think I was just immature mm. and I, and I just didn't have anybody to really show me the way to do things. And so I wandered and I struggled where I don't think that I had to, I wasn't obligated to, <laughs> Yeah. but I, but I felt like I chose that path maybe subconsciously even because I wasn't willing to look outwards for help. And so who am I now? You know, I, I'm definitely not a loser. I don't have everything figured out, but I get to talk with guys like yourselves and and other amazing guests on my podcast. And I try to be open and coachable and, and learn. And when I have questions, I ask those questions, I apply the answers. And it's not any surprise to me that life just continually, continually gets better financially, physically, mentally, the business, all of it just gets better as I open myself up and am receptive to what other people have to share. Yeah, that's cool, man. So the the order of man, how would you summarize what that what that is for those who have never heard of it, never listened to you before, never read your book, uh, Sovereignty? That's what's called sure. right? Sovereignty. Sovereignty. Yeah, yeah I want to make sure I know that. I appreciate. It. Yeah, my um, the best way I can describe it is it's a a group, an organization where we equip men with the tools and the conversations and the resources and networks and frameworks that they need to thrive as husbands and business owners, community leaders, fathers, whatever facet of life they're showing up. I want to provide everything that I would have benefited from as a young father, a young husband, somebody trying to start my business, somebody trying to lead in in every capacity of my life. And so we do that via the podcast, the book. We've got um, an exclusive brotherhood with almost 800 men involved in that now. We've got hundreds of thousands of people following along because it's my hope they're getting the resources and information they need to thrive. And that's what we want. We want to serve those guys. So is this only for or for men then? Obviously today, if there's a woman listening to this podcast right now, should they should turn it off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think they should turn it off. You know, I, I do talk exclusively to men because order of man and the way that I present the information that we share is, is shared in a masculine way, in a masculine perspective. But uh, we've got plenty of women who listen to what we do. And look, let's be, let's be honest too. The principles that I share, although directed towards men, are pretty universal, right? Personal independence, you know, freedom, personal responsibility, accountability, doing the right thing, doing hard things, learning, being receptive to new information. That isn't exclusive to Hmm. men. It's available and it should be available for everybody. Generally, the way that women receive that and talk about that might be different generally than men. But uh, the principles apply all the same. I'm just thinking a lot of people in our audience, maybe maybe they don't wouldn't say the word loser. They just maybe maybe they would, but they're struggling. They're not where they want to be. They're not the person they want to meet. Um, yeah, I'm wondering what was that change? What was that inflection point in your life? Like what what changed for you um, to to get you to where you were to where you are? That's a good question, but it's but it it's a hard question too because the way you phrase it almost seems like and I know this is the question people are asking themselves like how do I get to this point? Yeah. They think it's just some great leap. Right? Like you turn the switch on and then tomorrow you're a different person. Yeah. And it's taken me years and years and years. I mean, order a man we're we're almost 6 years into this thing. Uh and the experience I want to share with you was 
11 years ago. So I've spent more than a decade after this experience I'll share with you here in a minute changing my life. I mean, it's taken me over a decade to get me to where I am right now. It doesn't happen overnight. But my wife and I, um, at the time, we had a one-year-old son and we got into an argument. I don't remember what we argued about. I really don't. But I remember saying vividly, like it was yesterday, saying, I don't even want to be married to you anymore. Mm. And she looked me straight in the eye and she said, I don't either. And uh, I left for a, a training. I was doing some financial training uh, the next morning and I left for that. I got about an hour north of, of where we lived. And I said, what are you doing, man? Like your wife's leaving you. Your marriage is falling apart. You've got your one-year-old son. What are you doing? And so I turned around and I went back home and she was packing when I got home. And I tried to convince her to stick around. I'm like, let's work through this. And she had had enough. She's like, no, I'm out of here. And she left and she took my one-year-old son with her. And for months, there was just this, just this vitriol, just like brewing inside of me. Like, how could she do this? Why was she being disloyal? She took my one-year-old son away from me. Why didn't she appreciate all that I was doing to, to try to build my financial planning practice, to provide for the family? And it was like just hostility. It was just nastiness and it was festering inside of me. And I remember this must have been maybe three or so months into our separation. I was driving down the road. I remember the road I was on. It was Riverside and Riverside Drive. So it was that intersection. I was sitting at a stoplight. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this marriage is over. Like you messed it up. This marriage is over. And as much as I didn't want to wrestle with that thought, it was probably the most powerful moment and transformative moment in my life. Because I said to myself, okay, that marriage is over. So I'm going to be the best catch for the next woman to come into my life. I vividly remember having that thought. And from that moment, that was the light switch for me. I stopped focusing on what she was doing and what she wasn't doing and how she was doing this. And if only she would do this, then everything would better be better because I thought it was over. So I'm like, okay, well, it's over. I, I wrote it off. I'm like, I'm just going to focus on myself. What do I need to do? What do I need to focus on? How do I need to improve? What do I need to do in my business? And I started listening to CDs, success CDs. I started reading a bunch of books. Mm. I picked up some new friends. I actually brought in two uh, financial advisors who were part of the company I belonged to, but I brought them in and started splitting business with them so they would coach and mentor me how to grow my business. And she responded to that. She responded because she saw that I was somebody who's willing to take upon himself the responsibility of fixing myself. And that's what I've spent 10 years doing. You know, it's easy for me to look at other things and outside factors and what the economy is doing and the president and the, and the, and the this and the COVID and everything else that I could blame my mm -hmm. circumstances on. And some of it might have an element of truth. But I realized there's nothing I could do about my wife. I mean, I can influence her positively and negatively, but I can't control her. I can't control politics. I can't control COVID. I can just control myself. And so I spent 10 years figuring out what I need to do to improve myself. And not surprisingly, life gets better and people respond better. And I develop stronger friendships and I build a more powerful network and my income continues to go up and my net worth is building because I'm focused on this, not yeah. everything else that's going on in the world.
yeah, you're taking care of taking care of yourself. Uh, exactly. And, and it's not a selfish thing. It's saying how I'm going to improve my own life because by by doing that, it's like the whole you know analogy of the the airplane, right? Put on your own yes. mask before you put on your kid's mask because you take care right. of yourself first. Um, a quick story. I've, I've shared this before on the podcast, uh, but I'll share it again just for context is when I got started, uh, well, let's say a year ago, like back like January, I was like, I'm going to become, I'm going to do jujitsu. We had uh, Jocko Willink on the podcast and he encouraged me like, you're going to go do it. When are you going to go? What day are you going to do it? He actually you- said, if you don't do it, I'm going to send someone to check on you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, so <laughs> I, awesome. I did it. I went out there. I, it was awkward and uncomfortable. And I went and did it a few times. I went for like a few months, like on and off. And I got a little bit into it. And then COVID came down and, and shut everything down. All the gyms shut down. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. So no, no more jujitsu. And so I stopped for like four months. And then talking to a buddy of mine or five months, talked to a buddy of mine who was also getting into it around the same time, just getting started. And I know you do jujitsu as well. Um, and so anyway, he's like, he said something like, yeah, you want to come over on Saturday? I'm, uh, I'm rolling with my trainer, Jerry. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, well, when all the gyms shut down, I just uh, called the gym and asked if they had any private trainers and he's been coming to my house every Saturday or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> wait, well, like that's a thing. Like in, in other, and it was such a perfect picture of like, I let my environment control my, uh, my, myself. I let my envi- the environment around me control my fitness and my lifestyle and my goals, which I had a goal to be good at this. And I, I let, because I didn't stop to think the two seconds of how do I take ownership of this control? And so anyway, now I hired his guy, Jerry. In fact, he'll be here in an hour or so. And me and me and David here are going to roll and do some training awesome. again today. But yeah, it's a, it's an example of where like, it's so easy not to take control or ownership or the word you use in your book is like sovereignty of your life. And you sit in the back seat in your, in this cab and somebody's driving you around and they're probably drunk. And like, you're just in the back seat. Like, well, I don't understand why we're not getting there any faster. Like, when you get into that front seat, like just things start to change. Is that is yes. I mean, am I am I summarizing like that that idea of sovereignty well? Or how would you define sovereignty in the way that you use it in your book and in other places? Yeah, it's liberty. It's it's it, people ask me a lot of the times what is what does success mean? And the answer I give every time is it's autonomy. Yeah. That's the only answer that generally applies, you know, broadly to everybody. It's autonomy. It's being able to do what you want, when you want, why you want, yeah, and no other factor into consideration. That's also sovereignty. You know, the ability, look, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, you're not sovereign. Mm. Like you can't go on a vacation. You can't take your family to Hawaii for vacation because you don't have the money to do it. So you don't have success. You don't have sovereignty. You've given that away to a financial institution that would love to see you in debt forever. And, and, And it's not just financially, but it's physically as well. If you're 100 pounds overweight, you're not free. How many prescriptions are you taking? How much do you have to pay for those subscriptions? What do you even know about what you're putting in your body? Yeah. Like you, you have restrictions that you've put upon yourself. So in, in all ways, what we need to do is to make ourselves completely free and independent of outside factors. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be able to accept help. We should, of course. And it's okay that I, I told you I had a couple of guys in the financial planning business who I hired and we split business together and they came on and they extended their hand and they taught me. I wasn't relinquishing sovereignty. In fact, I was developing it and learning how to take control of my own life. The problem comes when we come up with these excuses and these reasons, I call them noble obstacles, to keep us from being sovereign, but they're they're legitimate. So what? I'll, so let's go back to jujitsu, for example. I have a lot of guys who will reach out and say, well, you know, I'd really like to do jujitsu, but, you know, I, I want to spend time with my family. What, you don't think I do? That's such a good example of a noble yeah. obstacle. I, I was thinking about that yesterday. <laughs> right. Because yeah. you should, if you're a father, 
you you should be with your family. That's that's actually right. That's true. Yeah. That's good. But if you're using them as a pawn for your mm -hmm. game of mediocrity, then it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So I go to jujitsu twice in the evenings. In fact, when we get off this call, I'm going. And my wife does dinner and things with the kids. And when I come back, we spend a little time before they go to bed. And then I do it twice in the morning before anybody even wakes up. I got to take care of myself. Yeah, because you look at it like I am taking care of my family through doing these other things as opposed to the other mindset, which is, well, if I have to exchange time with my kids for jujitsu, then it's obviously bad. And it's just your subconscious tricking you into not doing the right thing. Well, if I'm 100 pounds overweight, and right. I'm not saying jujitsu is the answer, I'm just saying being physically fit. If I'm 100 pounds overweight and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching all of the Netflix series and yeah. I'm eating you know, a gallon of ice cream, I guess like, yeah, technically I'm here with my family, right? but am I really? I, I remember seven years ago, I was 50 pounds more than I am today. And I remember my two oldest boys, they came to me after work. I came home and they said, dad, dad, dad. And they were pulling on my pant leg. And they said, let's go jump on the trampoline. And I had looked them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, boys, I can't. Because I couldn't, I literally mm. was exhausted. So I was home. Was I being a good father? Of course not. Because I wasn't present emotionally and mentally for them. And part of my physical fitness journey, getting up, going and working out, training, getting strong, getting lean, getting fit, helps me show up more effectively as a father that I want to be and I'm proud of being. And it shows your kids a better example. That's another big Definitely. thing. Is that you're showing them because everyone looks up to their mom and their dad. Yeah. In fact, there, here's a really good point for the women that are listening I'm a real estate broker. I run a real estate team. We have single moms that get into real estate and they typically crush it. One of the areas where they'll struggle is with mom guilt. They get this mm. idea that if I do anything that isn't directly taking my kids somewhere, it's wrong. And what I'm often telling them is like, you're your kid's hero, especially if you're a single mom. You're all that they have to look up to. They are watching everything that you do. And when they see you taking sovereignty, they see you taking ownership, they see you not making excuses, they think in their head, oh, I come from that stock. That's who I am. I should be doing that too. Their identity is formed according to the action that that person's taking. And it kind of frees them from that, that mom guilt, which is, like, I think, another example of a noble obstacle. I love that concept because the things that stop us in life aren't the things we can see coming. It's yeah. that, that type of a thing that sounds like it's a, a noble thing. Yeah, because we have a very, a very powerful ability to BS ourselves. Yes. So if it sounded, it, it, for example, if you went on a, a, a five day drinking binge, like nobody in their right mind is going to say, oh, you know, that was okay. That was for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I'm taking care of myself. Like nobody's <laughs> going to say that, right? <laughs> If on the other hand, you know, you said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go on this, this five-day vacation with my family or to take it another spin is I'm going to go to this uh, leadership summit or this sales training and I'm going to be gone for three days. I mean, that's yeah. there's, some, there's some legitimacy. Look, I remember uh, I just got into hunting about three years ago and I remember my first hunt and I was walking in the desert of Arizona and I'm walking around trying to find a deer. I don't know what I'm doing. Like it was just, it was, it was crazy. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like your family's at home. You're out here by yourself. You spent a bunch of money to go out here. You're trying to hunt. Like you can provide food by just going to the grocery store. Why are yeah. you doing this? Yeah. Why were you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> because it makes me better. Hmm. It makes me better to be 
to be in a hard situation. It makes me better to develop a skill set. It makes me better to be alone with my own thoughts occasionally and within reason. That all makes me better. And then when I come back, I'm that much more engaged. Uh, several years ago, I had uh, Joe DeSena, the founder of Spartan Races on the podcast. And, and he said to me, he's like, hey, um, you should do the Spartan Agogi. And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds good. I'll do it. I'd have done a, I'd have, I'd done a couple of Spartan races. Yeah. And he's like, okay, great. Get signed up here. Send me an email. We'll, we'll get you going. And then I jumped online after <laughs> and I looked at what it was. And it was a 60 hour endurance <laughs> event. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? Like, I thought it was a race, like a 20 yeah. mile race. No, it was a 60 day, a 60 hour endurance event. Ugh. So, but I already said yes. And I try to be a man of my words. So I'm like, all right, well, this will be good for me. So I went and did it. And I'm up there for whatever it is. What it, I think it equates to three and a half days or so. I'm up there. We get no sleep. I'm freezing. It's raining on us. We're getting pummeled. It's just miserable, miserable. And my children and my wife, with my wife's help, right before we started, my, I get this text on my phone from my wife. And it's a, it's a picture of my kids. I'm going to get a little choked up as I talk about this because it's that vivid for me still three, four years later. It's a picture of my kids. My wife had gone to the grocery store and, and got a bunch of that like big poster board mm-hmm. and they and they wrote on there with like sparkly letters like, go dad, 60 hours. We know you can do it. As, as I'm sitting there in the hills of Vermont, just miserable, tired, cold, wet, thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? That image pops in my head of my kids excited and when I wanted to throw in the towel I remember thinking to myself what's it gonna be like when you get to call him and you said you did it yeah like you actually completed it and you know what I was gone for three and a half days but I served my kids immensely through me being gone and them seeing their dad go take care of himself put himself in a miserable situation, improve and get better. And now they're better even in my absence because I can come back stronger. That's really good. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Uh, I did a, I did like a, whatever, a half Ironman uh, a couple years ago, it was two years ago and uh, a year and a half ago. And Rosie, my daughter, who's four now, so she would have been what, two and a half. She still remembers it and talks about it regularly. Of course like, she does. Yeah, she, yeah. And she's like, remember when you were at that, you know, and she remembered she was there with a poster as well. And, uh, you know, that's a big difference. If we're using things like, you know, I'm not going to go run a marathon or an Ironman or a Spartan race or whatever, or go to this conference. I'm going to get better because I'm trying to be a bit more family man. It reminds me of, we did an interview recently with, uh, Greg McEwen, McKeon, McKeown, uh, the author of essentialism. Essentialism. Yeah. Right. And he was telling us about how, like the trade-offs we make, like go with the lower, I don't remember the words he used, but like the lower dollar valued trade-offs. In other words, like, yes, there are trade-offs, but trade-off like the TikTok and the Instagram and the Facebook before you trade off the the important things like the Spartan race or the the, the conference that's going to make you a better person. But we yeah. tend to, we tend to, you know, we like our little, you know, in bed scrolling TikTok for two hours, you know, like that's, we, we like that stuff. And so it's, it's easy to not cancel that we cancel things that we actually should do and so it leads me to this this point i want to make here is i see it in you and i see it a, a lot of successful people is they run toward hard um and early on i did not do that if things were hard i ran away from hard uh but you're like you mentioned like why am i hunting because it makes me better right and i know i've seen david do the same thing i mean like just i mean yeah 
when you start running toward hard, your kids pick up on it, your your spouse picks up on it, or, or future spouse maybe picks up on it because they there's something just so admirable in that. I mean, I still remember anytime my dad did that as a kid, like did something that was just challenging or hard. Like those are the moments I remember. So, do you yeah, think that hit your dad's decisions to do those things made you more confident because you thought, well, if my dad does it, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to do it too. Yeah, 100%. that's who I am. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so on that note, then Ryan, like. What what do you do right now? I mean, how old are your kids, and what do you have for kids? Yeah, a bunch I have of boys, four right? kids, three boys and a girl. Yeah, I have a girl too. Okay, um, yeah. So I've got twelve year old boy, ten year old boy, six year old girl, four year old boy. All right. So what do you what do you do to instill this sovereignty in them? This idea of taking you know control of their life and ownership. How do you what what are some of the techniques or tactics that you use? Well, so here's one example just last night. So <clears throat> we're here in Maine. Um, yesterday it was in the high teens, I think. And, <laughs> and my son, he's been on this, Ooh. he's been on this, this, uh, fitness kick right now. So I'm like, well, let's go outside and work out. And he's like, it's cold out there. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's really cold actually. <laughs> so let's go outside and work out. And he's like, okay. So we go out into the gym and it's not heated. We go, it's the gym is in our garage. It's not heated. There's holes everywhere. It's super cold. It's just as cold as outside. In fact, it might be more cold. (laughs) So we're, we're in the garage and he's like, dad, it's super cold in here. I'm like, yeah, but this is why it's meaningful. Cause how many people would not do this at all, or they would do it in a comfortable environment. And yeah, maybe they're getting strong, but we're getting strong physically and mentally. And so we talked about how much more it counts if it's harder. Now, I'm not saying you need to be, it needs to be dangerous or stupid, mm-hmm. but it can, it's, it's worth more because it's harder. It's worth less if it's easier. So, so that's one thing. The other thing, I, I really try to involve my kids in the business. So my oldest son, he actually manages our entire store. So he ships orders, he places orders. Here's a, here's a great example of sovereignty. So the other day we got a return and I, I had been paying him. I pay him a little differently now, but I had been paying him a dollar per package that he ships out. And we got this return because it was the wrong size or wrong, wrong shirt or whatever it was. And I said, okay, I'm going to take that dollar out of your paycheck. And he's like, (laughs) wait, what you're, you're paying me a dollar to ship it out. I'm like, yeah, I'm paying you a dollar to ship out the right stuff. Yep. I'm not paying you a dollar to ship out the wrong stuff. So you owe me a dollar. And these are little examples that, yeah, you know, that. some people might hear that and think that's harsh, but that's reality. Like I'm not paying you to do crappy work. I'm paying you to do the right work. And so these are the lessons through running the store, through exercising. That's actually part of the reason we came up here to Maine is to get away from everything and like the ease and the people that we'd been around is like, let's go experience and let's be on our own. Let's go do something new. It's going to be harder. It's going to be more miserable in a lot of ways, but we're going to learn so much. And it's just been a powerful, powerful experience for us. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That like letting kids learn and get involved and, and teach them along the way. I think it's just so powerful. Uh, Definitely. And, and, yeah. Anybody listening to this, you know, we, you know, we do a lot of, we talk a lot about real estate here on the show. Right. And so like, there are so many ways that people can let their kids do little things. I mean, if, even from like three years old, like give them a paintbrush, let them do some painting, like let them show up there when you like, oh, I got to go check out that. I mean, if you're managing your own property, I got to go deal with that, you know, 10 at eight o'clock at night and go change that toilet. Hopefully people aren't doing that anymore. But if they are like, you want to have the kid come with and help hold the tools, like they're going to be terrible at Definitely. it. But like, those are the moments that just build that character. 
in those kids. I remember when I was little, my stepfather um, had a cabinet shop. And so he had a cabinet shop outside of our home, but then he had a lot of his cabinet stuff and tools and things like that in the garage. And one of the fondest memories, and frankly, I don't have a lot of him. He wasn't a great stepfather. Uh, There was some moments, some glimpses, um, but I don't have a lot of fond memories. But honestly, one of the fondest memories I have is him teaching me how to use a push broom and push up all the sawdust on the floor. And then he would give me a couple of bucks or whatever because he put me to work. And I felt even as a young boy, I must've been seven, eight years old, that I was valuable, that I was contributing and that I was adding and enhancing to the environment and I was getting paid. And I felt good about that at seven years old. You know, these are, these are lessons that um, you can learn at a very young age that I think will carry on for the rest of your life. I think that there's, a knee-jerk response from some people when it comes to sovereignty is they see it as uh, a means of controlling others. But what you're really describing is a means of taking control of yourself. That's that's what sovereignty would be. What are your thoughts on home ownership versus renting? Do you view home ownership as you've taken control of your living situation and that asset? That's a good question. You know, I hate to just throw out, it really depends on your circumstance, but if your goal, for example, is to be location independent and you're only going to be in a certain environment for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. and experiences are more valuable to you and you, and you like to hop and you like to travel, I would maybe consider, and I'm trying not to look at it just from the financial standpoint, but I would maybe consider renting as a viable option to do that. Yeah. If, however, you felt like you wanted to own the real estate, you were going to be there for a period of time, or it had some sort of uh, important value to you in ownership, home ownership, then I would say that that's, that's the route to go. I mean, we can punch the numbers and figure that out. That's easy, right? Like you can figure that yeah. out pretty mm-hmm. easily. And I think financially, over the long period, home ownership is probably the way to go. But I think there's a lot of factors that would skew that and 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 change the way that you might look at that. So I, it really, for me, it just depends on your circumstance and situation. Yeah, I'm a homeowner. We have three. I was telling Brandon when we talked about a month ago, we had, we own three homes. The first one I bought and, and my wife did all of the designing and planning while I was in Iraq. And then we moved there. It was a great starter home. And then we rented it out when we left. Uh, and then we bought another home. And then when we moved here and bought this home here in Maine, we rented that one out. So it's kind of happened organically for us, but I think it really just depends on your circumstance and situation. It's what you want. It's again, it's autonomy. If yeah. renting is going to allow you the autonomy, the control of what you mm. want to do, then do that. Oh, that's really And if good. it's not, then don't. Yeah. I think I was assuming looking at that question from a financial perspective, but there are more things. So you're yeah. taking sovereignty over, over your time and your freedom when you're renting versus your finances when you're owning. Well, and here's another great example. So Brandon, you were talking about a second ago with potentially having, I I think you were uh, referring or alluding to having a a property manager, right? Is that what you were alluding to? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they're not still doing the toilet changing because they have a property manager. Right. So you could say, well, sovereignty, if you have somebody else do it, well, that's not sovereignty. You don't have control over it. Well, maybe, but you also have 20 hours in the month that is now able to be redirected to something more significant and meaningful towards you or for you, excuse me. So sovereignty isn't about having a hundred percent control over everything that could possibly work in your life. It's about focusing your efforts on the things that are important to you and then bringing in the right people to focus on the things that aren't as relevant or meaningful to you 
or it could potentially free you up for that autonomy to focus on the things that you do want to focus on, which mm. is securing more property or looking for new listings or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And I, I'm not like, you know, I'm the, I'm the real estate guy on the show, right? I mean, I'm always talking about real estate. Everyone knows me as a real estate person, but I'm not actually that big of an advocate of owning. I own because to me, like happiness is being able to punch a hole in the wall. And then that's my whole, nobody can tell me not to do that. Right. I, I, I go right. crazy. Autonomy. When I, yeah. Autonomy. I don't like that. I don't like landlords telling me what I can and cannot do, but for other people, yeah, like who, if that's not as big of a deal as you, if you're not, or if you're not going to punch a hole in the wall, or if you don't care about remodeling your property or painting it, you're just good with what you have. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Go like, don't buy your house, go, go rent, do what you want. doesn't mean you shouldn't invest. Like you should still invest. And I like investing in real estate. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's really knowing yourself and not just falling victim to the whole, like, well, that guru online said to not buy a house. or that one said to buy a house. Like it's, it's irrelevant. Look at your own picture and figure it out. It's really, uh, it's it, anything could be a form of, of slavery, mm-hmm. you know, like for example, like working out, like, I don't think anybody would, would say that, that working out and taking your care of your body is a bad thing, but I know people who are addicted to working out because they're so worried about their body and their, yep. and their image yep. and their, and the way they're perceived that they've actually become a slave to it. Yep. So getting healthy for them isn't an action of sovereignty. It's an action of, of submission to, to that addiction or to that, desire to to feel approved and so anything can be taken in an unhealthy way it's just the motive and the way that you're using it and approaching it in your life yeah yeah it's very true i know a lot of those people that are in incredible shape and that's their identity and that's how they find people to date and that's how their confidence comes from and they live in their mom's basement and they have they're in debt but they have an incredible body but they can't break free of it because no one sees the money in your bank account nobody sees those types of things They, they see your biceps and that's what they focus on yeah yeah It's such a beautiful perspective that you're presenting, Ryan, of looking at the world, mostly because it's so empowering. It's just acknowledging you can do whatever you want. You can have whatever you want if you're taking this perspective of how do you take control over those things. And I'd say, Brandon, in the last two years, I've seen you take a quantum leap in progress with this (laughs) type of looking at stuff. So much to the, the fact that you've recognized where you're weak so much that you'll literally say, okay, this is something I want. I know I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to proactively put all of this form of accountability around me without anyone telling you that you have to do it. I know how, how, how crazy that is to go against your own nature and say, I'm going to make my own life harder on purpose so that I will accomplish this thing. But I mean, it's showing up in every area of your life right now. So I know it works just from looking at your life. (laughs) Well, thank you. David, you said something interesting. You said it's a beautiful way to look at life. It is. It's also very scary. Hmm. Yeah. Think about this for a second. If if you're listening to this podcast and you're not satisfied with some facet of your life, it is significantly easier to say that it's somebody else's fault. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Right? It's your wife's fault. It's your boss's fault. It's the economy. It's COVID. It's this. It's that. It is significantly easier to say that it's somebody else's fault. The problem with doing that is that we are voluntarily relinquishing sovereignty when we do it. Because look, David, if if my the position I am in my life is your fault, let's just say I'm blaming it on you for whatever reason. I've just handcuffed myself because I actually need just now I just need to wait for you to change. Mm-hmm. But like if you do something different then that's going to impact my life better. And there's nothing I can do about the way you show up. So I've just given you 
authority over my life. Yeah. You've- now I'm just sitting around waiting and, and people do this. They're, they're waiting for their, their ship to come in. Like it's some passive thing. Oh, well, you know, that guy got lucky. And then, you know, when I get lucky too, mm. well, then everything will be good. Yeah. No, it's your responsibility. It's risky because who wants to look themselves in the mirror and say, you're inadequate. You're not enough. You're not good at this. Like I know, I, I li- you guys know too, I'm sure, because the business you're in. I know people who will not pull up their bank account statements. Yeah. Like they know how bad it is. Yeah. They know, but they won't pull up the statement. Right. Because they don't want to make it real. I also know people who won't get on a scale. Mm-hmm. Yep. They know they're obese. They know, but they won't get on the scale because they, if they do, they have to come face to face with the reality of their situation. And they don't want, I get it. It's scary, but it's also the foundation for growth. Four hours ago, I posted on my Instagram, growth is acknowledgement. Your current state is not good enough. Therefore, a prerequisite to growth is humility. Yes. And and I just, it was a way that something clicked with me yesterday as I was thinking. And I realized that's why growth is so hard because you have to say who I am right now is not enough. And if you have an ego, if your pride gets involved, if you're insecure, it's very difficult to be able to admit I'm not enough. In fact, most people spend their life running away from anything that gives them that feeling of I'm not enough. But what makes that beautiful life possible instead of it just saying, oh, that's hard is having humility. It's being able to say, yeah, the scale is going to be ugly. (laughs) I'm not going to feel good when I get on it. That's okay. If you're not humble, it's almost like there's a barrier that even you can't get into that realm. You can't get into the empowered realm. And I think what you were describing, Ryan, when you were talking about your marriage was that was a gift because that humbled you. It brought you took the perspective of what am I doing? Right. It's so easy to say, what is she doing? Does she not realize what she's got? Of course. Right. But that humility opened your eyes. And now you've got this amazing movement. You've got this confident. You've got all these blessings that came from the life you have. And that's where it started. I love it. Yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. Hey, Ryan, if you could pick like, what's one thing that you would pick if you could teach it in schools that's not currently taught in school? Like what, what's a topic or a thing that you'd be like, if I was the president of the U.S. right now and I could implement anything in the schools, what would you want them to teach? Man, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, it's funny. I actually have that written down here for every episode of the podcast for the last like three years. I don't, I don't think I've ever actually asked it, but it's always here as like, this would be a really good question to ask somebody someday. Yeah. But I never ask it. I think I would teach... I would teach people to start a business. Mm, why? I love that. Why? I just think I think there's so many lessons about life that come from running a business. You have to work hard. You have to invest. You have to sacrifice. You have to have faith in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. You have to add value to people's lives. You have to get them to see you as being valuable. So you have to sell yourself and promote yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to manage inventory and money. And I just think there's so many lessons from running a business. And also, I mean, to go back to, I I would say is the theme of this conversation, sovereignty. Look, I'm not going to knock somebody who goes into an office and is an employee of an organization. If that fits your needs and your desires and you don't want to do that, all the power to you. But also you're relinquishing a little bit of control, right? Because now you're at the mercy of other things that are beyond your control. So Having a business, even if it's a side business, even if it's uh, rental properties, having a little bit of additional income yeah. uh, yep. or or having a, a merchandise store, teaching people how to 
shoot photos or graphic design. If you're just really like to go to the employee thing real quick to, to take back some of that sovereignty is by being really, really good at what you do, because now you have the control to go somewhere else. If you work for, you're a web developer, you work for this company. Great. Go be the best web developer there is there. Cause then you have the power to say, no, I'm going to go to that company. They'll either, they'll treat me better. If something goes wrong, if 90% of all web developers in the world go out of business, guess what? If you're in the top 10%, you still have a job. Yeah. You have that sovereignty. So I, I think just, yeah, I think that's whole, a good point. He's so good. They can't ignore you. Applies. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. That's uh, Cal Newport, right? So good. they can't. Yeah. Cal yep. Newport, and yeah. then there's also yeah. a great book by, I believe it's by Seth Godin called Lynchpin, making yourself indispensable. I have it, but I haven't read it yet, but I hear it's really good. Yeah. That's, yep. I read it years and years ago, but that's also a really good book. And that hits on the concept that you're talking about. So to go back yeah. to what you were saying, I think teaching children how to start businesses would be something I would want them to learn. I love yeah, that. When you take the path of I'm going to be the best there is, you're also choosing the hard road. Yes. It's just yeah. the equivalent <laughs> of I'm going to work out really hard every yeah. day, but that's what your workout is. And it's always harder to do that. And the other thing I thought you're saying, Ryan, about owning a business is you don't really have anyone else you could blame. It's much harder, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. You start a business and it doesn't go well. Yeah. It's, it's staring at you. I mean, you might try to blame the economy or the president or whatever it yeah. was, but when you're an employee, it's just so tempting. There's a million yeah. people that you can- Oh, stupid boss. Yeah, yeah, he just didn't get it. Or that, oh, that marketing department, they just yeah. couldn't figure it out. Yeah. And you know what? The market really doesn't point. care about your excuses either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you could say, I have a great product, but people just don't understand it. Well, that's yeah. not their fault. That's your that's fault. That's because you didn't yeah. communicate it well. You need to help them understand it <laughs> yeah. or have a better product. Yeah. Like those are the only two things. Yeah, that's a it's a great, great point. I love what you're... Have you guys heard of those, uh, the entrepreneurial... I know you have because we were at a GoBundance event and they talked about it, but those entrepreneurial um, like fairs for kids where they'll do like a, in a community. Somebody will just start it in a community. It's not like a school sponsored thing. It's like, hey, we're going to have a entrepreneurship fair and you'll get dozens if not a hundred kids to come and they all get their little white tents in a park and for well you know like that's the end result for three four months they build a business ahead of time a product or a service and then at this fair uh where everyone has a booth they just sell it and the whole community comes and buys all the kids products and stuff it's such a um i saw a video one time from that when we were at a yeah, go abundance event mm -hmm. in austin showing that they do this and i'm like i cannot wait till my kids are old. now like really just getting to that age now where she can do that it's like such a great way to teach that entrepreneurship or that business growth in the kids. So yeah, neat stuff. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. My nephew Isaac goes to one of those schools. Really? The Acton Academy. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Acton and, and they're the ones that like see, sponsored. They started in Austin. That's yeah, where yeah. we were at. And they're, yeah. yeah, it's, you see these little kids that just have stupid confidence. Yeah. I'm like jealous of his son, Isaac, at eight years old. Like <laughs> I could never go totally. talk to a stranger, a yeah. grown up <laughs> at eight years old, man. I was like hiding in the back. Didn't want to like, I wasn't even thinking you're allowed to talk to a girl. Yep. So I just walk right up to someone, start asking him questions yeah. about their life. Yeah, it does. It does wonders. Yeah. And he has that mindset of, well, if it, what he always asks is, is it, can I do it? It's how do I do, do it? I want to, right? Like I can see the effort mm, I'd have to put into that thing. Switch. Is it worth it for me? Whereas I was always handicapped by, I'm not good enough to do that. Yeah. Right. I just went through life thinking I can't, I can't. If there was one thing that I thought maybe I could do it, I was a slave and that was the only road yeah. that I could walk. Yeah, that's, you know, that's it's funny point. you talk about that. I think the language we tell ourselves and the language you use is very important. Um, I used to think, for example, it's because since we're on the podcast, I would look at like Joe Rogan, yeah. for example, is I think we could agree like he's at the top of the game. Right. Yep. Yep. And so I would look at what he's doing and I would say, well, I want to have what he has, and but I can't or this is what's holding me back. And now I realize I actually don't want that yep. because 
because I'm not really willing to put forth that mm-hmm. effort at this stage in my life. Like I'm not, I'm not willing to do that yep. because I have other priorities, namely my family, Yep. you know? And so there's lots of decisions I've made in my business where I've legitimately throttled the business, but it was intentional mm-hmm. and I didn't make any qualms about it. I didn't say, well, you know, I'd like to, but boop, boop, boop. no, I said, no, I don't want to do that right now. And that was an intentional decision because I have other priorities that are on my plate that are important to me. And in 15 years, when the kids are out of the house, that might yep. change and yeah. I might have new priorities and I can adjust then when that time comes. That's such such a good point. Yeah, there's um, there's been a number of times where I've like wanted to pursue something. Like, for example, I think it'd be fun to do a TV show. You know, like someday it'd be cool to do a TV show and real estate has a lot of channels and HGTV and all that. And I'm like, like oh, it'd be cool to have a TV show. And then I talked to my friends who have a TV show. Like we have a number of them on, on the podcast, like guys like Ken Corsini, uh, who was on HGTV's Flip or Flop Atlanta. And like, He's like, yeah, I mean, it was like eight months of filming. You know, you're pretty much eight, nine, 10 hours a day, uh, six days a week, maybe seven days a week. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. So I, I think it's so important rather than just asking yourself, what goals do you want to accomplish? There's a better question is what pain am I willing to put up with? Mm. Like, do I, like, do I really want a six pack? I'm mean, using that analogy all the time about a six pack. Do I really, yes, I want a six pack. At some point in my life, it'd be cool to have one. Am I willing to put up with the pain needed to get one up until this point? I have proven that I am not like because I haven't done it yet. Right. And until I make the decision that I'm OK with the pain needed to get the result, then I that's the I guess that's the better question. Am I willing to put up with the pain, the work necessary? And a lot of times the answer is no. So the desire is there, but that's very different. So if you want to build a, you know, you want to be a billion. I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to. It sounds horrible because the pain to get to become a billionaire is a lot. But I was willing to put up with the pain to become a millionaire. Yeah, for sure. I'll do that all day long. Uh, so again, just when people are thinking about goal setting, mm. yeah, maybe it's you got to think about the pain more than just the result. Yeah, very similar to you. I've always framed it as what's the cost. Yeah, you yeah. know. So, uh, but I think it's the same. I think it's the same concept. Yep. Like there's a cost to everything. Yeah. Everything has a cost, and so you have to decide: is the six pack the cost of mm-hmm. doing this? And also, what are you going to have to give up? Like you're going to have, you're going to have to give up something about your current life in order to have Mm -hmm. this desire. But you do have, I will say this, you do have to be careful because it's easy to do. uh, My friend calls it mental gymnastics. So it's very easy to tell yourself like, oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to pay that cost. And it might just be, you're saying that because you know how hard it will be and Mm -hmm. you're scared. Yeah. So you do have to be careful of playing the the mental gymnastics game where you're lying to yourself and you're trying to BS yourself. You really yeah, have to right. know who you are and why you're saying what you're saying. And is that really the case or are you making it up to save yourself and keep yourself protected? Yeah. Yeah. Point. We find oftentimes the thing that stops people is their ego, right? I don't want to look bad in front of other people yeah. or, totally. or, uh, like you mentioned, getting out of bed a little bit earlier, I can easily spend 45 day, 45 minutes when I first wake up, not wanting to just jump out of bed, easing into the day. And I'm on, I'm on Instagram or Facebook looking at stuff that does yep. zero for me before I even know I did it. Yep. That's a thing that shouldn't be hard to give up. So I think when you identify what you want and then you ask yourself, what am I willing to give up to get it? If it's given up sweets, if it's given up that, heck yeah. Every yeah. time you should give it up. If yeah. it's, I'm not going to be there for my kids. I'm going to be yeah. traveling three quarters of the year. That's right. a different story, but you should still always use that matrix when you're looking at what you want. And the last piece that I love about what you said is you basically describe the difference. And Ryan, you've done this too, between I want it versus I'd like it. 
I'd like a six pack. Mm. If the six pack fairy touched me on the head and said, "Hey, you want a six <laughs> you'd, pack?" You'd, you'd take it, right? Yeah. Wait, say, thanks. There's a six pack fairy. <laughs> how, have I, how have I never? How have I never known this? I've been like I've been doing sit ups for years. Yeah, that's funny. All right. So other than the six pack fairy, uh, building the business thing. I want to circle back there, Ryan, before we get out of here. What have you learned, therefore, that like in in building? There's a lot of you said you said the words. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in building a business. So now you've let's go order of man. You've been building this podcast, this brand. You've got like this this group that comes and hangs out with you. I see your Instagram pictures. And you guys are doing cool stuff in your barn. And it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, what, what have you learned in this whole this whole process of building this thing? There's two lessons that really stick out to me this year. I mean, there's an infinite number of lessons you can talk, but there's two sure. this year. Okay. Number one is you got to find the right people to be in the right positions in your yeah. organization. Yes. And some of those people are going to be employees. Some of them, frankly, are going to be volunteers. Others are going to be contracted, but you got to find the right people. And so as I'm switching from the whole idea of like self-employed to business owner, I'm trying to make that switch for myself from, I have to be involved in everything to my job now is to begin to identify who could replace that, that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. The, The first one for me was, and this was several years ago, but hiring an editor for the podcast. I didn't want to do that. I wasn't good at that. It was a waste of my time and energy. And so I found somebody who really actually enjoyed doing that. Uh, we brought on somebody else this year who to help me with podcast outreach. So she helps me uh, get introduced to other potential guests. She helps me get on other podcasts. Those were things that I did enjoy and I like, but she's so well connected and she knows how to network and she enjoy, enjoys finding these little angles. And she's got me podcast interviews to be on other shows and my show better than I ever could over the past five years. Yep. So so that's that's one of my biggest lessons this year. The other one is a little bit harder to quantify, but what I found is that people want to belong to something. Yeah, so much, yeah. They want to belong to something. And especially in the wake of what's happened in 2020, people aren't, doing sports. They aren't going out with each other. Uh, they aren't involved in church organizations as much as they were charitable organizations. So their sense of belonging has been greatly diminished this Mm. year. Yeah. And if you can create as a business owner, an environment that feels like you're part of the team, people want to be part of it. Brandon, you alluded to it. You, yeah. you said you had guys over and helping you with your barn. Let me let you guys in on a little insight on that. So I've got this barn. It's roughly 3,000 square feet. It was built over 100 years ago, yep. and it needs some work. So we were going to do an event, but we couldn't because insurance restrictions. We couldn't get the insurance in place for the amount of guys we wanted to have. And I hand-selected 20 men that I wanted to have out here. And I said, I've got 12 spots available, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a place to stay. I'm going to give you a bed and a pillow and I'm going to feed you for three days. Yep. And outside of that, you're on your own. You got to get here. You don't have to pay me anything, but you also have to work. Yep. So we're going to be here. We're going to work our butts off physical labor for three days. And in exchange, I'm giving you food and a bed and a pillow. And at first I was like, no, I don't think anybody's going to show up to that. That doesn't (laughs) sound like a pretty good deal. And the response was overwhelming. And I made that post that I think you're referring to on Instagram. Yeah. And I've got probably two, three dozen other people who are like, when are you doing that again? Yep. 
because people want to belong. That doesn't give me a right to take advantage of them. I want to throw that out there. But people want to belong to something so much so that they're willing to invest their own time and money and energy. And as a business owner, it's our opportunity to create an environment where people feel like they can belong to part of something special. And that, that's what I'm trying to do here. That's really good. That's really good. In fact, I got a text the other day from, so David here is visiting me in Hawaii right now. And we were sitting on our, uh, my front porch, basically we call him a lanai. And we're talking about like what, what opened our capital, which is my real estate team, why we've grown so quickly and fast the last couple of years and just the progress we've seen. And in that conversation, like you asked uh, Mike, who's Mike's my investor relations guy, just like, why, why did you get attracted to open capital or something like that? Like what, what brought you there? Anyway, he sent me this later. He said, Hey, something hit me this morning. Uh, I think another thing that helped you lock in people like Walker and I was your vision. We knew we were signing up for something bigger than just a job. So maybe David needs to clearly articulate vision and share uh, and share that. Um, it basically goes on from there. But the idea being like when you're trying to hire people too, like people are attracted to people who are, are doing something. There's a, a vision, yes. there's a mission, there's a thing. Like people love, like that's what drew me to Josh Dorkin who founded Bigger Pockets, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago was like he had like a, this vision, this mission. Now he didn't know exactly where he was going, but like he was so convincing in his like, we're doing this. This is a thing. Like bigger pockets is a thing. And now this thing has grown to millions of members because people love to be a part of something. And yeah. I love being a part of it. You love being a part of stuff. You like, yeah. So it just it applies to in, in the small areas. Like you're going to go hire your first employee and I want to go create a movement of people online. Like it applies to everything across <clears> the board is have that vision, have that thing, create something, create movement and people will follow. People will join. Not even they follow it. It's just they join. They're doing it together. And it's, it's yeah, amazing. they're part of it. Yeah, they're part of it. There's, we, we were talking about language earlier. And I think there's a little nuance that we need to be make sure that we're aware of because I've yeah, fallen please. into this trap. And it's just a minor little thing. If, if this appeals to you and you're trying to do something like this for your employees and the people who would band with you, get really comfortable with using the terms us and we. Mm, yeah. Like I hear so many people say, oh yeah, I created this. I did this. Yep. Me, my, I, and it's singular. Yep. This thing is greater than myself. It's yeah. us. You know, maybe I founded it. Maybe I host a podcast, but if that's all it was, it wouldn't go very far. It's we, it's us. And the, 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 the person who just started following our Instagram account, you know, uh, 15 minutes ago is part of us, yep. we are doing this. And, and people who are listening are just as much a part of it as me, the guy who is securing the guest and making the investment and putting up the capital and taking the risk. I think the people who are banded with us are just as important. And so I use the inclusive language of we and us versus I and me. Yeah. It may seem trivial. It's really not to me. Yeah, that's really good. Really, really good. And good reminder, I got to start thinking more often like how I'm how I'm talking about my team. I don't even know. I got to, I bet people can, uh, they're probably laughing right now. Like, oh, Brandon always says I, or maybe he, I, maybe I always say we, what do you know? What do I maybe. say? Maybe. I don't it's know. It's just something, it's something, something good. I got to think be about. Aware yeah. of. That's really good. That's yeah. really good, man. Appreciate it. All right. Well, this, this has been fantastic. Uh, like, I mean, really, really good. And of course, if people want to listen to more of our conversations, I was on your show back. I don't even know what episode number it was with you, but they can just search our names, you know, in Google and they'll yeah, find it. For sure. They find it easy. Yeah, yeah it was in the it. last month or month and a half somewhere. Yeah. In there. Yeah. So they'll, they'll find it, but we talk, we go into other topics and real estate and other stuff. So they can check that out, of course. And you guys should, as soon as you're done listening to this one, but we're not quite done yet. Uh, Ryan, we want to throw a, a final four questions at you here. We call it our 
famous four. The famous four, the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Right. We alter them a little bit here on the uh, weekend episode uh, to be a little less real estate focused. So let's get to the famous four. The first question, actually, uh, we're going to start again a little different because the Sunday show here, the weekend show is not about real estate. So uh, I actually got a suggestion from an Adam Scott on Instagram and A-M-L-A-T-H-A-N who said, how about that first question instead? Make it. And I really liked it. So I'm going to do it. What is one habit, whether it's a daily or weekly or whatever, that you've recently developed or are working to develop to help you grow personally? Uh, This isn't necessarily recent, although I am making tweaks in it. It's an after action review every day. So what we hear about a lot is morning routines, planning out your day. Very important. But very rarely do we hear about the recap of the day. So I've got my planner right here where I've got written down what I want to accomplish, what I want to do. I've got my non-negotiables. I've got everything in here that I want to do. And so what I'll do at the end of the day is I'll actually go back and I'll recap this. And for me, it's helped because I dump all of the stuff out of my mind. I dump it all onto here. I plan out my next day, make some tweaks to what I have to do tomorrow. And then I can be fully engaged and present with my family or anything else that I have going on. If I don't do that, there's no, especially with, I work at home. There's no separation between work life and and family life. And so that separation through the, the recap of the day is tremendously valuable. When do you do that? Cause I've, and so I do that. Try, I have my own like journal that we have uh, at bigger pockets as well. And I also have a spot yeah. where it's like end of the day review. And I find that nine times out of 10, I either forget or it's just like late at night. I'm someone like, how, how have you gotten into that habit? Uh, and when do you do that thing at the end of your work day or end of the day day? So I do at the end of my work day, like okay, this yeah. specific thing. So yep. 10 minutes before I get done, when I get off this podcast with you guys, I'm going to do it and then I'm going to run to jujitsu. So yep. it's just t- the last 10 minutes. And then in the evening, what I do, l- a lot less formal, but I've got, I've legitimately got like notepads everywhere. I've got them I here. <laughs> I've got them in my nightstand. I've got them in the center console of my truck. I've got them everywhere. And so if I think about something at night, I will write it down in one of those notepads. Yep. Because if I leave it up here, I won't be able to sleep. I yep. won't be effective. I won't be present. So I just get it out of my brain. 100%, and then the yeah. first thing I do in the morning is I get all those notes and I'm like, okay, put it into here, which is my official system. Yeah, that's if, fantastic. If people listening, if that's just the only piece of advice you take from this podcast, yeah. that'll be massively beneficial. <laughs> yeah, it's so we, good. We use a CRM I, I think so. to do the same thing. Like if, if something pops in your head, you create a task in the CRM. And we've just found that yes. your brain is terrible for RAM. Yeah. It is not a good place to store information. Like you got to get it out of your head into a notebook, into a calendar, into a CRM. Yep. And if you don't, anxiety will build. I, I think that totally. anxiety is a huge problem in today's society and people have it and they never can yep. really pin their finger on where it's coming from. But a big piece of it is is that 100%. is there's too much in your head and that's not a good place to uh, to store it. So here's another little thing I do along the same lines. So this is just my notepad app in, in my yep. phone and I've got, notes for social media posts for my Friday field notes, which is one of our podcasts, um, daily tasks, podcast guests I want to have on t-shirt ideas for our store. I mean, if I have, if I think of something, it goes in here in a notepad and it's all categorized. And then it goes into my official system. Yeah. I use Evernote for the same thing. I'm, I have like same, same concept. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm such a note taker. Yeah. Constantly. We use Google drive. 
all different tools, yep. all the same thing. Yeah. And then it's later, the same when you're sitting around like, I don't really know what I should work on today. Yeah. You pull that up and yeah. it's all lined up, up. You just pick yep. whatever you want to yeah. go with. That's so awesome. Good. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Ryan. I like that first, that new first question for the weekend episode. I may even add that into the Thursday episode. Could be the famous five from now on. Anyway, go ahead. Ryan, you're a groundbreaking <laughs> trend, yeah, trend vanguard. right here. Okay. Go. Number two. All right. Second question. What is your favorite business book? Hmm. Other than your own, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's a given. Of, of course. course, that should be everybody's favorite business book. <laughs> it is actually. I don't. I didn't say this earlier, but I have read it. Uh, and like the week it came out, I read it, and it was phenomenal. So I do recommend it all the time. So <laughs> thank yeah, you. Good thank you. I actually don't read a lot of business books as much as it is more self development. Sure. Like classic books, like As a Man Thinketh, mm -hmm, is yeah. so so powerful. I love that book. Um, Wild at Heart is oh, another yeah, one. That that David one. and I talk yeah. about that constantly. Well, yeah, he uh, John Eldridge just had that transformed me as a man. Same. Like it, like that's not hyperbole for me. Like that literally transformed me as a man. Um, and I would say we were talking about Jocko Extreme Ownership, and which yeah. you can be definitely a business book, but that extreme ownership concept is so powerful. So yeah, that's a, maybe not exactly business, but those are three books that I recommend all the time. You know, here's another here's another business book. Please, uh, Gary Keller's The One Thing. Yes. That is a great book. Yep. I love that book too. The One Thing yeah, by Gary Keller. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Yeah, uh, real quick hit on uh, John Eldridge. So uh, that book, Wild at Heart, he has a story in there of his, he's like hiking with his son or they're rock climbing, right? And I think his son was like six at the time and he's trying to get up that, uh, up that, whatever and he's struggling and the dad says something like john says something to him like look at you come on you're doing it you're doing it you're a wild man and he said something in his son changed mm. when he said you're a wild man and he just climbed up the rest of that hill because we all want to be wild men and i named my son wilder because of that passage in that book really yeah, my kid's name is wilder oh, cool. and his nickname the only thing i don't call him even wilder the only thing i ever call him is wild man like that's it. He's my little wild man. And it's because that's of John cool. Eldridge. So yeah, that book oh, changed my life. So have you, uh, have you read Iron John? No, Iron John. No, Iron John by Robert Bly, yeah. I believe. And he talks about the wild man. Mm. I think that would, that would tie in nicely. You'd really like that story. That's cool. All right. Next question. What are some of your hobbies? Um, jujitsu is a big part of my life right now. I've been training for about a year and a half little over. Uh, and I just, I love it. I love it. I love everything about it. I like the physicality. There aren't many other times where you get to come face to face in a confrontation with another individual who wants to do you as much harm as you want to do that person <laughs> That's um, true. in a controlled and safe environment. Yep. Right. Uh, so jujitsu has been big and archery and, and hunting has been big for me as well. And, you know, interestingly enough, I was thinking about this the other day. I think the reason I like both of them is twofold. I have to be fully present. It's very difficult for me to shift my mind off, which is like the whole notepad thing yep. and everything. Cause like my wheels are always turning. So it's very difficult for me to switch my mind off. But when I'm at jujitsu, nothing else yep. is going through my mind. When I'm shooting my bow, nothing else is going through my mind. So I love the ability to just focus, hyper-focused on the one thing without anything else distracting mm -hmm. me. And the other value that I derive from them is immediate and instant feedback. Yeah. In jujitsu, if you do something wrong, you're going to know very quickly <laughs> that you should not have done that. In archery, if you do something wrong, you look at the arrow and even if it's just slightly off, you know that it was different from the last shot that you took. And so you can begin to work backwards and figure out, 
okay, what do I need to do differently in order to create the result that I'm after? Those two yeah. hobbies and then the two lessons, man. That's all valuable stuff for me. That is really good. Yeah, I uh, I say that actually about surfing a lot. One of the reasons I love surfing is because there's so yeah. many things going on when you're on that board balancing that you, your subconscious or whatever just kind of goes away. And your, your subconscious basically is so busy, worried about, and your conscious about staying level on the board and getting that next wave that you don't think about the you know, the pile of emails in your inbox. And so, yeah, it's just, you disappear in the, in the moment. You're just there. And you're constantly, same thing. You're constantly reacting and to yep, feedback. Constantly, so if the yep. wave is pushing you this yep. way, you're like, oh, that's feedback. Okay, I got to adjust 100%. based on that. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's awesome. And jujitsu, again, that's I, I love it as well. In fact, we're going to go do it in two minutes. Yeah. Jerry shows up here. So David and I are going to go roll. But uh, so last question from me then. What sets apart successful people in your mind? If you had to really name it, what sets apart successful people from those who give up, fail, or just never get started? And we'll kind of in the connotation of maybe like an entrepreneurial journey. I think that successful people find meaning and joy in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get lucky every once in a while. It's easy to stumble across something and have it work out. But if you're so hyper-focused on the end result you have a false sense of expectations about what it will take and you're going to be disappointed and you're probably going to throw in the towel sooner than you should. But if you find joy and purpose and meaning in just showing up and doing the work, and like we were talking about earlier, having faith that if you do that well enough and for long enough, then the results will just take care of themselves and they will. Whatever you want, it will happen if you do the right work and you, you do it long enough. So here's how I would say it to reframe it. The win isn't the end result. The win is that you actually get to play the game. And if you define winning that way, whether it's showing up to jujitsu, it's not about your belt promotion. That'll take care of itself. It's about the fact that you went today. That's the win. Or that you showed up to work on time or that you made two dozen calls to prospects and clients. Whatever your thing is, define winning by the activity, not the result that it will produce. Amazing. Beautiful. All right, Ryan, this has been one of my favorite interviews. Yeah. If, if you, no one's phenomenal. ever told you, you're pretty good at, awesome, at talking. Good. So Appreciate thank you guys. for talking with us. Can you? T- <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you? Uh, the podcast is a great place. You're listening to a podcast. So wherever you're listening, order a man for our podcast, orderaman.com. You'll find our store, our events, our brotherhood. You'll find it all there. So I'd say the podcast or the website and you'll find us all. That's awesome. And make sure you guys follow Ryan on Instagram. What's your Instagram? At Ryan Mickler. All right. Because it's I, I really admire your Instagram. I love it when you when people like complain about something like, well, I don't like that. As, you know, whatever. And you're just like, this is my page. Like, I, like my life doesn't affect <laughs> yours at all. Why are you complaining to me? Like, no. anyway, yes. it's such a real picture. It's of like walking in about. someone's house and telling them everything they did wrong when they decorated. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> yeah, it. It's like, well, yeah, you're, well see you later. Yeah. Slam yeah. the door behind him. Is there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow. Just so you know. So. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, uh, yeah. Phenomenal. Thank you very much, David. You can take us out. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thanks Ryan. This is a great job. This is David Green for Brandon Instant Feedback Turner signing off. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. 
There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.